0: 30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by our friends at State Farm. Whatever life brings your way, State Farm is here to help life go right. State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country. 19,000 is a huge number, but it's not the number that's impressive. It's the personal service and attention to detail you can only get from your local State Farm agent. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining the purchase of your home and auto insurance. State Farm, here to help life go right. Hello and welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast. My name is Jody Avergan. Our special summer series continues marking 10 years of the 30 for 30 film series. Today, we've decided to enlist some help from our friends here at ESPN. We have asked some of our favorite fellow ESPN podcasters about their favorite 30 for 30 films.
1: Is everyone picking the OJ one? Are you allowed to pick the OJ one? Everyone's picking the OJ one. So you want me to do something different, right?
0: That voice you may recognize is our pal Dan Lebitard. We asked for his pick alongside Mina Kimes, Bomani Jones, and Zach Lowe. It should be said, everyone mentioned OJ Made in America, but as I've said before in this series, we're kind of putting that off to the side. So we did get a bunch of other recommendations, a bunch of other great answers from the crew.
2: I feel like this might be an unusual choice.
3: All these guys are in Dallas as the oil industry is booming and as all
4: the money is coming in. It's about basketball and basketball is my life.
0: So we'll do a bunch of these short conversations in today's episode. First up is Dan Lebetard, host of the Dan Lebatard Show with Stu Gatz, which you can find on the very excellent Lebetard and Friends podcast network. He's also the host of the TV show Highly Questionable.
1: Here is Dan. My favorite is the sports pornography known as the U.
3: It just took no from
1: nobody. I remember one columnist writing that their style of play was like a motorcycle gang running roughshod over a church picnic. Our play was
0: kind of mocking what you thought traditional football should be. Miami, showing
1: you why they're number one. Just because it was, uh, you know, just a specific time in Miami and a specific time in our country where a renegade college football team became an assault on sportsmanship, an assault on sensibilities. Uh, It was uh, for us in Miami, where we haven't had a lot of great sports success, this was a college team that behaved unprofessionally and professionally in terms of success, and you can't dispute how
0: interesting those teams were and that time was. From your perspective, we should say you're in you're in the film. But like from your perspective, which is the reason that I yes, chose you, exactly. if we're really being honest about this. You're we also wanna... in the U Part Two and you're in Run Ricky Run. You you know, whenever we dip our toe into Miami, I guess you you show up. But like what was it? Those like? are the three best we've ever done, the is ones that, right? that I've been in. What yes, a coincidence. The three, the
1: three best. Uh
0: but what's it, what was it like? Do you do you remember what it was like? Did it feel like oh Miami's getting repped in this way when that film came out and that story was being told just in general? Um, like, oh finally this thing that we understood in our town Um, the rest of the country is starting to get a sense of it. I marveled at a number of things in that
1: movie. I marvel in general at the idea that Randy Moss and Allen Iverson become a lot less threatening when they're no longer playing the sport. So the film I was watching seemed quaint in retrospect. It was cute in retrospect. It was not while Mm. you were living it, while you were living it. That is not how that team was received. That team was received poisonously. That team Uh, Gave Miami a very real feeling of us against the world because of how they got dismantled for their behavior, even when they were winning in bowl games, you know, whatever it was, 45 to three, and giving up two penalty, two fields worth of penalty yards, 202 penalty yards, and beating somebody by six touchdowns uh, in a bowl game against a very good Texas team. I just. I marveled at the ability to look at it in retrospect and not be threatened by the behavior because the behavior was threatening when it was happening.
0: Right. Which actually it's funny when I remember rewatching that film recently and, you know, some of the the taunting, like it doesn't like I mean, your use of the word quaint is nice. Like it doesn't look that over the top. um, But I guess when you're in it and you understand the context and the media circuses around it, like just, you know, a little taunt on the field for Miami player can just seem like it's the most dramatic thing in the world. One of the things that
1: I thought was interesting, and we've certainly had these conversations plenty in baseball and the idea of urinating on sportsmanship, the idea of white people, black people, brown people, celebrating all things differently, whether it's funerals, weddings. And that was a black team that was enjoying itself exuberantly with a coach that sort of understood them and what they were doing was scaring the hell out of America with stuff, in retrospect, that doesn't look that scary. But do you think anything has actually changed on that front? Uh, Yeah, the rules have gotten a lot worse to punish people who behave that way, and they've eradicated it. What do you mean, does it change? College football doesn't have that kind of personality anymore. It's not allowed anymore. You can't take your helmet off. You can't do backflips in the end zone. You can't uh, can't have fun that will be uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah, a lot has changed in that they changed all the rules— Because
0: that was sort of the Wild West. It was a renegade time. But at the pro level, there's the sort of, um, certainly in some some leagues, I mean, the NBA in particular, there's there's an understanding that people have personalities and people have agency and people are going to speak up and speak out in a way that maybe didn't exist 10, 15 years ago.
1: Uh, that's professional and that is earned at least in part because of some people who came through and broke down those doors. Miami did break down some of those doors, but they got reestablished and they put bolts and locks on them to make sure that college players don't behave that way anymore. You will not get that anywhere in college. You will not see anything like that. You might see it on the professional level. But that was eradicated. They had a rule book for it. It was the Miami rules. They changed the rules.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, you look at some of the 30 for 30s about college athletes, and so many of them are just simply about college athletes who act like pro athletes, and that just seems like the scariest thing in the world and the most dramatic thing in the world. I always
1: found it interesting during that time that we were praising these CIS mythologies of Penn state is the team. And this is funny in retrospect, yeah. Penn state is the team that doesn't allow the player uh, to have his name on the back of the uniform because it's not about the name on the back of the uniform. Uh, And yet they had the Nike swoosh on the uniform that was allowed because, of course, we could do that commercially and corporately, but we wouldn't want the individual to have any real power. Better to just have the swoosh have that power and then collect the money from that swoosh's power. Thank you so much, Dan Levitard. Thank you for talking to us.
0: Mina Kimes, thanks for doing this. And tell us what your film is, your choices, and uh, tell us why.
2: So, my favorite, 30 for 30, I feel like this might be an unusual choice. I don't Good. know. Not to, you know, to my like own more, Not to be here. a 30 for 30 hipster over here, <laughs> but um, one that has sort of catered to my own personal interest mm-hmm. uh, was Brian and the Boss. Uh huh. She came out a few years ago about Brian Bosworth.
1: Who's the Boss? He's one of the best college linebackers I've ever seen play the game. LeBros is highly controversial, highly sensational. But
3: arguably, he's one of the biggest jerks that's ever played the game. Built himself up to be bigger than life. Action hero. A lot of people do that now. He just did it better. Everywhere you go, all you hear is Brian Bosworth.
2: The backstory for me is I'm a big Seahawks fan. And growing up, my grandfather lived on Lake Washington next door to this family that had the cutest dog. It was a Jack Russell Terrier. It was very naughty. And it was its name was Boz. But you named know,
0: after the linebacker? Yes, yes because okay. when he
2: was drafted by Seattle, I was, I think, two you know, uh-huh. or something. So I was uh, not aware at the yes. time. I was not a sentient Seattle but fan. But you were yet. just
0: reaching your love affair with dogs. Yes, right? I definitely was aware of dogs. dog yes. territory,
2: yes. And I loved this dog. And so I asked him for the story, why is this dog named Boz? And they said, well, there was this this rookie, and he was so hyped, and he was bigger, like, you know, just had this larger-than-life personality and persona, and then he kind of busted and didn't really pan out, yeah. um, which is, in some ways, I think a bit of an unfair characterization of Bosworth. That I actually think he would have been a good NFL player if not for the injuries, but in any case, I so I found out, you know, I learned about his life, I learned about his persona a bit, but it wasn't really, I think, until this film came out that I learned the entire story of Brian Bosworth and it's truly a fascinating story.
0: So it's just occurring to me that this one sort of checks all of the like 30 for 30 boxes (laughs) in terms of, um, you know, busts are like a big territory Mm, to go back and re-examine whether someone's really a bust, but also this idea of dual personalities. Like I'm thinking, I mean, obviously Brian and the Boz, we have this real person, Brian Bosworth and his, and his, personality that he has to create Uh, but there's been 30 for 30s on you know Bo Jackson has that sort of legendary figure versus real person obviously like the Dion versus primetime Mm -hmm. thing Ric Flair versus nature boy I mean it makes me wonder if you think that there's something that do athletes kind of have to do this like create dual personalities
2: I think every athlete does to some extent because especially to play football you it's such a violent intense sport, you can't be the same person you are on the field, off the field. Uh, you have to sort of, by nature, bifurcate yeah. your personality a little bit. I think Boz was unusual, and, and there's there's some other athletes who are similar to him. I think even today in the modern NFL, I can think of a few guys who are similar to Brian insofar as their dual personality isn't just about an on-off-the-field, aggressive, peaceful, whatever, divide. It's about creating a character, almost like yeah. a wrestling Heel. Totally. You know, that's what he was like. the One of the original wrestling heels in football and he knew it and he marketed it. And that's one of the other great things about the film is it explores the fact that he created this very potentially lucrative persona in college. When he couldn't actually yeah. take advantage of it, and I think it was a little bit ahead of his time in that way.
0: Well, and Deion Sanders in the Deion Sanders film, then when I, I I did an interview with him about this, and you know he he came up with Prime as a marketing tool in college, knowing that it would pay off. I was really impressed with how he was able to actually have balance between the two sides and Hmm. know, like, this is the moment when I'm prime and this is the moment when I'm Dion and in baseball he was Dion and in the real world with his family he's Dion and then when he's in football he's prime and when he's doing endorsements he's prime. The Bosworth story is a little different like a lot of these other stories are where the the personalities yeah. get blended a little bit, and you lose that sense of perspective. It's
2: right? a lot darker, I'd yeah. say. I mean, and not just because he didn't really get the opportunity to cash in on the way that Dion did, because his NFL career, his money, the money making portion of his career was abbreviated by injury. So he built up, you know, all of this marketing equity, and then didn't really get to capitalize on it for very long. Uh, the film is it really explores what you're describing, you know, this blending of personalities, how it affected him, how it led into who he became and it sort of explores it this might also be a 33 so that through the lens of his upbringing his family yeah. it's a lot about it's, it's about fathers and sons and it explores his own relationship with his son and looks back on you know his relationship with his father and i think how it kind of led him to become the guy he was both brian and the boss
0: yeah fathers and sons is definitely on the like <laughs> checklist of yeah. themes for sure so last thing this dog are you still in touch with the dog <laughs> Tell me about Bosworth. Oh, what did he look like? Man. Did he have a split personality?
2: He No, he had only one personality, and that was insane. Okay. Uh, and he was a Jack Russell, and I loved him very much, but sadly he is no longer with okay. us because, you know, I was a pretty young yeah. a young child at the time. But I like to think, looking back, when I watched the documentary, I realized, wow, this dog really did share a lot of <laughs> the <laughs> character traits uh, as Brian Bosworth himself. It was
0: well named. All right, Mina Khan. thank you so I hope that Brian Bosworth
1: will come to some kind of understanding. That Brian Bosworth and the Boz cannot be separated. He's always going to be the Boz to somebody.
0: That was Mina Kimes. Her NFL podcast is The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, which is her dog. It's a great podcast. You should definitely subscribe. When we come back, more recommendations from more of our favorite fellow podcasters. That's after the break. for 30 podcasts are brought to you by onstar if you're ever faced with something as terrible as vehicle theft onstar can help onstar has the power of stolen vehicle slowdown it's a feature that enables an advisor to work with law enforcement to get your stolen ride back slowing down your vehicle enough so that authorities have a chance to apprehend the crook who took it get onstar on your team today onstar is available on chevrolet buick gmc and cadillac onstar be safe out there Requires select paid plan, cell reception, GPS signal, and working electrical system. Doesn't prevent theft, damage, or loss. Details at OnStar.com. 30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta flies to 300 cities around the world. That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both, poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta, keep climbing. Okay, we're back, and it's time to hear from Bomani Jones, the host of The Right Time with Bomani Jones and co-host of the TV show High Noon. Bomani also picked a 30-for-30 highlighting bad behavior in 1980s college football.
3: That was the era of the
1: Pony Express. Eric Dickerson and Craig James, the Pony Express.
3: You're talking about two of the best ever. How did they get all those guys? They must be doing something wrong. SMU was the best team that money could buy. Oh, absolutely. Best team money could buy. The best team money can buy.
0: The documentary is Pony Excess, and it explains how the boosters of Southern Methodist University, SMU, amped up the recruiting process in the 1980s by offering young players lots of perks and lots of cash with buy-in from the university and how they eventually faced the consequences. Who ever thought anybody would get the death penalty? The most severe penalty in the history of the game.
4: Next year's SMU football season will not exist. No games, no scholarships, no recruiting. It would have been one thing if it had been a rogue
1: booster. But it's it's another thing when the board knows about it and the school is aware that it's going on at all levels. I think we earned
3: the death penalty.
0: Pony Excess was a film in the first volume of 30 for 30s, and I asked Bomani Jones why this was his pick.
3: Just the general absurdity of the lengths that SMU went to because the rich people wanted their school to be yeah. good. When those high-powered businessmen and attorneys from SMU went into the boardrooms and went to their country clubs, they wanted to look at that Longhorn, and they wanted to look at that Aggie and say, hey, we got you this year again, didn't we? Shoe boxes of cash, cars,
0: apartments. Whatever
3: needed to be done to get the deal done, that's what you did. Girls gambling. Fifteen players from SMU had 300 ZX's, all from the same dealership.
4: I didn't ask questions. I just drove the car
0: I mean, yeah, some of the tidbits in there are amazing. You know, I guess, I guess, give me some context here for like how egregious do you think this is? I mean, of all the 30 for 30s that could be done about college bribery. Uh, Is this the one to pick? Is this at the top of the list?
3: The thing with SMU was that they got caught and did not stop.
4: You boys need to understand that you have a payroll to meet, in some cases in contractual form.
3: I would like to think that the reason that they said keep on paying them is that they wanted to be men of their word. We also know something else was at play. If they didn't pay him, somebody was going to blow the whistle. That, I think, is what makes it a little different. Everybody else, you know, the block gets hot, they calm down. You know, like Alabama, it's been a while, but Alabama used to go on probation every handful of years because of what was going on. And of course, there's widespread fraud in this and SMU is in a fairly unique situation because they have no natural built-in advantages. Like if you look up and SMU is as good as SMU was, then somebody immediately is going to investigate cheating. It's kind of like what happened to Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Once they started getting guys, really are like, hold on, there's no way this is legitimate. Yeah. And then they're going to like get to the bottom of it. So the spirit of it exists across the board. But if you're SMU, then you're going to have to go a little farther in all likelihood than most places. Also, it just so happened with SMU, this went all the way up to the governor, right? The governor happened to be yeah. an SMU grad and then was a person who was involved in it. So I would say it is different in that this involved more noteworthy characters, but I think the spirit of the operation, well, that's all over the place.
0: I'm going to ask a question that I may not be able to get through because it's sort of an absurd question, but like this film came out in 2010. Has anything changed about our conversation about money in college sports since then, do films like this help us have that conversation?
3: Uh, I do think they—I I believe they do. One thing I think that's happened, though, with money in sports is people don't seem as offended by it yeah. anymore. Because, I mean, it, people used to get really offended by stories of players getting paid, and they got offended by little bits of money. Right, they got offended by $1,500. They get offended by two grand. They get offended—like, even a car— is a or like a, like a jacket yeah. or, you know, a piece of, yeah, yeah. Piece of clothing like or, a tat- or whatever. like yeah, yeah. a tattoo, whatever it yeah. is. Like, these aren't high-dollar expenses that we're talking about here, and people got really offended by them in a way that I don't think they get offended now. Like, 2010 was Terrell Pryor and the stuff with the tattoos and everything else. I don't know if that goes over the same way. And I do think that part of it is a lot of this stuff has been laid bare in ways that it had not been previously. Like, you know, the FBI got involved in this thing with college basketball. Yeah. I don't see anybody caring. A part of that is the decline in uh significance of college basketball, but I don't know what it would take in college football now, like when all this stuff came out about Miami 10 years ago. I don't know if anybody cares about that now.
0: Well, it's this weird thing that maybe it's the trying to shine a light on it has also sort of normalized it. So the more we talk about how egregious and broken the system is, we also are, weir- are maybe weirdly like just becoming accustomed to well, the fact that it's broken and egregious and we ooh. just – Get less up in arms.
3: Well, yeah. But the other part, though, is that if we don't villainize the athletes, which is typically what we've done, then we don't have villains. Right. right like they, Like this was all set up where the real villains were the athletes and the people who dare to think that maybe just maybe they deserve to get a little money in their pockets we don't I don't think there is a clear villain in this anymore because we never make rich people villains they just being although rich. this
0: film I really liked in that sense and that it was about the booster culture yes. and the chain that went up to the government there, there was very little about this this kid who wants to right. get uh, you know some stuff on the side or whatever yeah. the or most the,
3: fascinating yeah. thing about college football is booster culture yeah like, like when I well, really think sport, about the stories yeah. that lightning up about college football it's anything that involves getting into booster culture like those are the best conversations to have
0: so you're gonna come direct to 30 for 30 for us about that i'll tell you (laughs) sir,
3: if you mess around and let me i'll do it i think i I can find the right entertaining booster i'm
0: here for it okay well we'll put it on the list all right Bamani jones thank you so much thank you matt And finally, the last of our short interviews, we turn to Zach Lowe, the host of the Lowe Post podcast and, let's be honest, the best basketball writer on the planet for my money. He chose an emotional film, one of my favorites as well, one that explores the bond between two basketball players.
2: Are you close with any of the other Yugoslavian players in the league?
3: I used to I used to be very close with the Vlade Divac. Mm-hmm. And we used to talk every almost every second day, but right, right now... Mm-hmm. I saw him a couple of weeks when we played in LA. We talked for quite a while, and uh, that's
0: it. Once Brothers is the story of Drazen Petrovic and Vlade Divac, who became fast friends and standout players on the Yugoslavian national team in the 1980s. Petrovic, who was Croatian, and Divac, who was Serbian, then made waves as European players drafted into the NBA. But as their careers took off here in this country, their friendship crumbled as their nation fell apart back home. Tensions are high this morning in parts of Yugoslavia, where two republics, Croatia and Slovenia, have declared their independence.
1: He was a very proud Croatian. Civil War is going on. And I am from Croatia. Vladi was very emotional about it. and He was sorry the relationship ended. He thought it was only because he was Serbian really hurts me because uh, I felt like, you know, if you're my
2: friend, you're my friend forever.
0: Divac went on to a successful career in the NBA and will be inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame this year. But Petrovic, considered one of the greatest European players of all time, died in a car crash when he was 27. The two men never had a chance to repair their relationship. So Zach Lowe is here to talk about One's Brothers. Tell us, why have you chosen this film?
4: Well, First, it's about basketball, and basketball is my life. And second of all, um, I was a kid growing up in the tri-state area, coming of age as a basketball fan in the 90s, and Drazen Petrovic was like this, literally this thing that you had never seen before, this, like, European guard. European guard was not a thing that existed, and he was just absolutely spectacular.
1: Every game, we'd have a Drazen
4: watch, see what he did against, you know, everybody in the league. And he was just like a machine. He yeah, had like 40 on Jordan. Talking trash to Michael Jordan, talking trash to Reggie Miller.
1: Reggie Miller told me one time he really loved playing against Petrovich because he could talk trash in four languages.
4: Hitting crazy threes that no one else was taking. He was confident no matter what shot he took. He was like,
1: just kick it to me for three, DC. Kick
3: it to me. Petro for three. Got it. Petro!
4: Then, as I got older, the Vlade Divac Kings became sort of the league past favorites, if you will, of that era, a team that anyone who loved basketball loved. And then as I got even older, I married a Croatian woman and became sort of <laughs> deeply ensconced in Croatian and Yugoslavian culture. And so she was very interested to watch the movie because although she is Croatian, she's from Croatia, she's actually half Serbian and half Croatian, and it breaks her heart Um, like she is, she has zero nationalism in her blood at all. It breaks her heart. What happened to Yugoslavia, how it broke up, how it factionalized, how people killed each other, because to her, it's still all one people and learning that and reading books about it. And I just, and and this is sort of the basketball story of that time. And I was just so fascinated to see it play out, to see how Divac's views had changed from then to now to see him sort of, um, put his arm posthumously back around Drazen, a Croatian, um, you know, who who he had something of a little bit of a falling out with, at least because of the war. It was just it, it hit the sweet spot for me.
0: I mean, you you sound like you're at exactly the center of the demographic uh, to fall in love with this movie. But I mean, how much when you watched it for the first time and just in general, do you feel like it's teaching you more about geopolitics or more about basketball?
4: Honestly probably geopolitics um and and just you know w- what happened in Yugoslavia is can just be sort of a black box for people who aren't from there yeah. and don't know the history there's just it's broken up into so many countries there's religious elements and wait wait who does what now and who hates who and why and what happened and to see that to see that large story imprinted on a basketball team that by the way was the second best international basketball team, maybe ever, behind Team USA? I mean, it was the greatest collection of international talent between Kukoc and Petrovic and Raja and many other and Divots. You know, when it, when it was all united in one team, it was as as good as any team the world has ever yeah. seen, other than Team USA.
0: You mentioned watching Drazen play. I mean, he's. I mean, where is he on the list of what could have been in NBA history?
4: You know, he's at he's at the top. I mean, you. You talk about you talk to international coaches and international international players, and you will hear some of them say, "With all due respect to Dirk Nowitzki and Pau Gasol and Tony Parker, Drazen Petrovic would have been the greatest international player ever." Now I actually don't know if that's the case. I mean, Dirk has put up such an incredible resume that I think he would he would as of now have that honor, regardless of of whether Drazen had lived to play out his prime. Right. But in terms of as a trailblazer, no pun intended, because he was a Portland trailblazer before he kind of exploded as a net. Like, the European big man was a thing. The European big man, like Dirk, was not a thing before Dirk, but, like, the European center was a thing. The European guard was not a thing. And there was enormous skepticism in the NBA that any European guard or wing would be athletic enough or explosive enough or tough enough to make it in the NBA. I mean, you talk to people with the Spurs, Manu Ginobili is not European, but he's international. Like, there were people on that team who were like, well, you know, he's a guard. There haven't been that many international guards. Like, Will Manu be able to measure up? And this is literally a decade plus after the death of Drazen Petrovic. Like, that's how much of a unicorn Drazen was when he was younger.
0: This is obviously an international league now. There's players from all over the world, but like you know, you watch a film like this. When you rewatch a film like this, you realize, gosh, are there are there are all these stories overseas? Do these players have this deep history that we just don't know about because they come to the U.S. and we only see them through a certain lens? I mean, does it feel like the more international the league becomes, the more some of these backstories get lost or hidden?
4: For international prospects coming into the league
0: now. Yeah, do you disagree? I mean, do you feel like Once Brothers uncovered a story that uh about two players who we'd lived with for a little bit of time and didn't know, oh man, they had all these connections in their past. Uh and now I wonder with modern players, do we still feel like, oh, their life over there is their life over there and we don't really know about it, or do you feel like we know about all these players I, I, when I they're think, coming into the
4: league? Uh, I think we I think well we it depends on the we, right? We yeah. inside the league will would know about it. We team executives who are drafting these guys would know what Yusuf Nurkic thinks of Nikola Jokic, would know what these guys are as people and players and you know who they've played against, where they grew up, what youth teams they were on, who they dislike, who they like. But maybe fans, I mean certainly fans don't you know, the average NBA fan doesn't know who these guys are before they come over.
0: All right, Zach, thanks for doing this. My pleasure.
2: To build the friendship it takes years to destroy it just one second uh, and I think uh, that's exactly what happened to us
0: and that's it for this episode thanks again to Dan and Mina and Bomani and Zach you should subscribe to all of their respective podcasts you can find those wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to watch those films that they recommended you can find them on our streaming service ESPN Plus that is the home for the entire 30 for 30 film catalog you can subscribe through the ESPN app we are hurtling towards our next big season of original podcasts. That announcement is right around the corner. But up next, we'll look at the film Fantastic Lies about the Duke LaCrosse case. And we'll also talk about how reporting on sexual assault has changed in the Me Too era.
2: There was this um, outrage in the community. So I wrote this first column that really touched a nerve with people asking the members of the lacrosse team who were present in the House to actually say what happened.
0: Thanks again for listening. My name is Jody Avergan. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.